church, would you bow your heads with me as we come before the Lord in prayer? Gracious God, Heavenly Father, um, you give us a place to come to worship, to hear about your word, that we get to praise you in song, we get to listen to your word. Lord, um, we lift up our, our firefighters, we lift up our first responders. We just ask, Lord, for safety among them, um, that they will continue to be able to do their jobs and keep the public safe. Um, Lord, we lift up our fellow churches here in Sheridan and uh, surrounding cities that um, your word would be preached, your word would be heard. Lord, let our hearts and our minds be at ease here as we hear Pastor Chad uh, give your message to us, uh, Lord, empower him with strength and courage and direction, and uh, we pray this now all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mike, and good morning, everybody. You know, uh, Sam and I were actually having a conversation. We were driving down the road one day. We are actually going to our favorite fishing spot, and I said, uh, Sam, you know, I just heard this speaker the other day, and, and he said all of the world's problems could be boiled down to two things. And uh, I said, it, he said they could all be boiled down to ignorance and apathy. And I said, well, Sam, what do you think about that? He said, Chad, I really don't know, and I really don't care. <laughs> Thank you for that, Sam. At some point, you've probably heard phrases like, ignorance is bliss, and what you don't know can't hurt you. But I'm going to tell you this morning, that is not the case. If you don't think that's true, let me introduce you to my little friend here. Uh, I've got to do this right in front of Jill and Gayla. They, they kindly gave me, I believe it was a, is it blackberry bush or raspberry? Yeah, this is supposed to be a raspberry bush. It's a hardy bush, they said, Chad. You don't have to do much to it, Chad. So I took that to mean, well, all I got to do is plop it down in the ground and walk away. As you can see, that's not the case. So this is the act. I didn't just grab some sticks and put them in some dirt. This is the actual bush. Does this look like a bush to you? The first thing Jill said, she asked me the other day, well, how's your, how's your bush doing, Chad? And I said, well, it's not so great. And she looked at me and she said, well, well did you water it? And I said, well, no, it's, it's hardy, right? <laughs> Wrong. Even the hardiest of bushes, plants, whatever, take some love and care if they are going to grow. But out of my ignorance, the plant died. And when we are ignorant about things, there can be other consequences. People groups end up being hated oftentimes for no good reason. Health can wane. And people have fears that are oftentimes completely unfounded. There was a wonderful excerpt from a book by Charles Swindoll, and when he asked if ignorance was bliss, he said this, on the contrary, ignorance is the breeding ground for fear, prejudice, and superstition, the feeding trough for unthinking animals, the training field for slaves, it is blind and naked, according to Tennyson, the mother of impudence, according to Spurgeon. 
It brings despair and darkness, according to Shakespeare, never settles a question, according to Disraeli, nor does it promote innocence, according to Browning. And yet it remains the favorite plea of the guilty, the excuse of the lazy, even the Christian's rationalization for immaturity. If we go to the scriptures, it doesn't take long to see that there are consequences to ignorance. In Hosea 4, 6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Isaiah 5, 13, Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. There's a certain amount of information the Lord holds us accountable to. And there are consequences if we are ignorant of it. Ignorance isn't humble. It doesn't lead people into a deeper knowledge of God nor does it help our spiritual life. The question then I want to grapple with this morning is, well, how do I grow in Christ? How do I grow in Christ? How can I keep from becoming spiritually one of these? We're going to look at a few passages this morning. I want to start out with Luke chapter 9. We're going to start with Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 29, verses 23 through 26. And he said to all, this is Christ speaking to a crowd that was following him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You may be seated. We're in the middle of a series called Mission in Motion. And I think that God has made it clear in his word that the mission of his church is a great mission statement that we use here and we put it on the wall to know him and make him known. That's how we summarize what God says in his word in Matthew 28, to go into all the world and make disciples. But how do we do that? How do we keep that from just being some words we've painted up on the wall and actually put it into action? A few weeks ago, I went through Acts chapter 2, and we looked at four action words that come up from the text. Worship, grow, connect, and serve. Last week, I talked about the necessity of worship. Today, I want to talk about that second word, grow. How do I grow in Christ. And before we go any further, I need to tie instruction, as it says in this, this passage we just read, or actually the one in Acts chapter 2. Instruction is closely tied to growth. In Acts 2, we see those disciples devoted to the teaching, and a disciple is literally someone who is a pupil or a learner, and that's what we are called to be, disciples of Jesus Christ, learners and pupils. And I want to talk about growth then, but I want to talk about it in this larger context of discipleship. So this morning I want to look at it in three ways. First of all, the elements of discipleship, then the example of discipleship, and finally the execution of discipleship. How do we do it? So those three things we want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about these elements of discipleship first. We see it in Luke chapter 9. I've alliterated all these with the letter D, by the way. Quite proud of that alliteration. We got them all started with the same letter. So let's talk about this, this execution, rather these elements of discipleship. 
And the first thing we see in this passage is desire. It says, if any man will. And a lot of people are following Christ right now. He's done miracles. He fed the 5,000. They've seen big events. And he had not forcibly made anybody follow him. They're all doing this because they're compelled to do it. They desire more of him, more of his teaching. They want to walk in his ways. And when Jesus called you to faith, on some level, what you felt was a desire. You were compelled to do it. You were called by God. See, God uses our desires. Now, I remember the first time I heard the gospel, I was about five or six years old. At least this was the first time I responded to the gospel. And I remember it was a, it was a vacation Bible school. It was, had a Native American theme to it. And a woman, she was dressed just like Pocahontas, stood up there and just kind of asked the question, okay, kids, who doesn't want to go to hell? You know, it was one of those kind of children's stories. I was like, okay, that doesn't sound like such a great deal to me. She proceeded to explain the gospel to us. And man, when you hear a description of heaven, it's like, yeah, that's, that's where I want to be. So it's this pathway of desire. And when you hear about God making plans for your life, you know, I had a desire to go to seminary. I, I would never try to talk someone into going and becoming a pastor who didn't want to do it. It was all I wanted to do. I had a desire to marry my wife. These are good God-given desires. And desire is the pathway of discipleship. In other words, you are here this morning. I hope because no one dragged you here, but you're here this morning because you had a desire. You know there is something to this God and church thing at a minimum, and you want more of it. That's a wonderful God-given desire. And then this second phrase Christ uses, will, will come after me. That's a that's a point of decision, deciding. It's one thing to have the desire. It's the one thing else, something else, to step out and do it. And how would people decide? Jesus is presenting people with what they need to know. People have to decide for themselves whether or not they're going to act on the desire and actually follow him. And there's a difference between desiring and deciding. Remember, I had a desire to go to seminary. I wanted to do it, but then I actually had to decide to quit my job, pack up a car, and leave and go. I had a desire for my wife, but I had to make the decision to ask her out on that first date, and I didn't know how this thing was going to go. You have to make a decision. Jesus says there's a difference between just walking and listening to me and making a decision if this is something you want to do or not. Then we come to that third part of the verse. Christ says, let him deny himself. It speaks to that third word, denial. And it literally means setting something down. And, and what is it that he would say you have to let go of? It's very simple. Everything. Hold nothing back. If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to make the decision, if you've got the desire to follow me, that's what we do when we follow Christ. We give it up. Past, letting go of whatever you think is keeping you between, something between you and God, something that keeps you from you and God, your present, what your normal day-to-day -day activities are, and your future. 
That's what he demands from you. Relationships, your comfort, your family. Now you can trust that every single one of those things will be better off if you are following hard after God. Then we come to that fourth part of the verse. Take up his cross daily. And this speaks to dedication. And the audience of Christ would have known exactly what he was referring to. See, if someone was sentenced to death on a cross, this is during the time of Rome, if somebody was sentenced to death on the cross, the first thing you would have to do is put on the crossbar, and you'd have to drag it around the city in front of everyone. If you've seen the movie um, The Passion, you see Jesus doing this, dragging that cross around, and this was making a statement. This was making a statement that Rome was right and I was wrong. And now I'm showing that to everyone. Jesus is saying, if you're, going to follow up, if you're going to follow me, you take up that cross. And you tell the world that Christ was right and I was wrong. His way of doing it is right. And my way of doing it was wrong. That's what he's saying here when he says, take up your cross. This is what the religious leaders of his time refused to do. Are you and I willing to live in such a way that we would potentially humiliate ourselves in front of the world for Christ. We don't do things the way the world does. This is dedication. And then finally, determination. That final quotation, what Jesus says, and follow me. You could use the word grit, but it didn't start with a D. Determination, you're going to follow Christ. It's going to look different for everybody in different ways. This is why it's so important and why I am gritty, determined, dedicated to be an intergenerational church. You know why? Because the younger people have to see the faithful dedication of the older people to know, you know what, you can stick with this Christianity thing. And you can live it out right until the end. That's why it's so important that we see each other, that we're interacting, not just with people with whom we share the same affinities, but with people who have been down the path. And listen, if, you, if you've been doing this Christianity thing for a while, you've got something to share. You may not think you do. You have got something to share with this younger generation. Don't think that you don't. I've, just, I've seen it happen too much. And you've got a powerful voice that you can share with this younger generation. So those are the elements of discipleship. And um, Christ lays it out there. I'm going to look now at this example of discipleship. And this is being lived out from the time of Christ all the way up to our present time, right? It's, the church has been here. There have been disciples of Christ for the past 2,000 years. So then we've got this example of discipleship. And and it starts back in Acts 2.42 when the church began. I want to step into some church history here and bridge the gap from Acts 2 to our current times and then talk about what being a disciple looks like. But um, we see this necessity of growth in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. It says there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, now, that devotion word, and I want to focus what it says there in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
So they're receiving instructions. We have 11 apostles at this point. There was 12 minus Judas. They'll pick up Matthias. But notice the word. To devote yourself means to be busily engaging yourself on something. In this case, it's the apostles' teaching. They're hungering to dive deeply into the instruction of the apostles. They're dedicating themselves to it. And the connotation of this word is that it's ongoing. It's not a one and done. This is a lifelong process that they are laboring through. That same word devotion is used to describe a woman who is in labor. And we're not talking about just attending a class that will be over tomorrow here. This is talking about a lifelong learner. And along the Christian timeline, you've got people that devoted themselves to the disciples' teaching. As a matter of fact, by the year 96 A.D., as Christianity is taking off, they're under intense persecution. They didn't have time to just stand and sit around for a, a long sermon. They had to come up with quick, kind of succinct statements that they could share with somebody. They put together a little booklet back in 96 A.D. called the Didache. And in that little book, it's got some just quick Christian statements for living. For example, one is it says there are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there's a great difference between the two ways. That's about as succinct as you can get, okay? But this is what people needed to hear. Again, it says, receive the accidents that befall to thee as good, knowing that nothing happens without God. Isn't that a really good and important reminder? That whatever happens to you, is good because God is behind it. And I, you may be going through something horrific right now, and believe me, I'm not minimizing that, and there is grief and hurt, but at the same time, you can take some comfort knowing, I don't understand why, God, but somehow you're going to use this for the good. Those are the quick statements that they're passing along to each other. And by the time you get to 150 AD, there was a leader named Justin Martyr, and he'd established schools of catechism, and if you study catechism, you know, it's just short questions with short answers. I had this whenever, whenever I was six. <clears throat> Who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? God made me in all things for his own glory. Just little statements that help you understand. So they established this school. And I want to make a plug for something, by the way. It's, it's called New City Catechism. You can get this online it's put together by tim keller's church if you've got kids that you're wanting to start them out with catechism uh, this is a great place to start 52 questions and answers for your heart and mind and then by the time you get to the fourth century through the ninth century there's what they called um, episcopal schools and they were taught by bishops and um, you see this pursuit of these christians uh, extended really to more than the scriptures. Yeah, they were teaching Christian doctrine, but they were also teaching grammar and rhetoric, logic, arithmetic, music, geometry, and astronomy. Now, now you think, well, why is this the business of the church? Because the church saw it their business to always be pursuing the truth. And the academy, as we know it, started with the church. Now, we've forgotten that, but this is where it started, because the pursuit of God meant the pursuit of truth, wherever that truth may have been then you get to 1500 the time of the protestant reformation luther he wanted to turn houses into schools for boys and girls and he never denied that the one purpose of education was to train pastors for the church but also 
Uh, he wanted children to be educated, as he said, as God-fearing and law-abiding lay citizens who would serve God in society in all stations of life. Schools to him were to train and prepare more than just clergy. And then one more, Calvin. He advocated for universal education. His Geneva plan included a system of elementary education. And the vernacular for all, including reading, writing, arithmetic, grammar, religion, and the establishment of secondary schools for the purpose of training citizens for civil and ecclesiastical leadership. Now what's, and, and you know, you move on. The Ivy League schools were founded by Christians initially for the intention of training pastors. If you want to know, this is very interesting. The original mission statement of Harvard University, listen to this. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the end of his life and studies is to know God in Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Harvard University, have they stuck to this? Have they lost their foundation? Yeah, they have. Even their divinity school does not teach clear, objective truth about Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see is there has been a marriage through history between great schools and Christianity. But then they went to divorce court, didn't they? There was something called European liberalism that came in after something called the Enlightenment. It impacted our country, changed things. And the two could no longer exist. And now we live in this age of postmodernism, which doesn't regard truth as even existing. And we're now living it out. And if we're ignorant to this, it'll, it'll kill us. And you hear phrases like, well, it's true for me. So what are we after? We're after a Christian worldview. I just had several conversations about this this past week. What I see is my job to move First Baptist Church continually towards maturity, away from this, right, to death, away from death, away from immaturity, and when we see a Christian worldview as impacting our whole life, it broadens our understanding of what Christianity does. See, a Christian worldview in regard to technology, uh, you know, technology can be an instrument through which we fulfill our role as God's stewards or an object of worship that will eventually rule us. I'm haunted sometimes sitting in my living room, watching my little boy, watching TV. I'm on my phone, my wife on her phone, and I think, what are we doing here? Then sexuality and marriage, this is a huge topic for us. There's a lot of confusion among Christians and, and non-Christians about sexual intimacy only existing in a covenant marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And then the arts and recreation, um, you know, they're legitimate parts of creativity and community. And they express what it means to be in the image of God. And we've got to evaluate it. Just because somebody puts the adjective Christian on it doesn't mean it's any good. It's horrible when we have quote-unquote Christian movies and Christian music that you can't stand to watch or listen to. Then science and faith. And here you see a divorce again. You know, science, when it was espoused at Oxford University, started with theology that was considered to be the queen of the sciences. 
but a knowledge, understanding of God includes the knowledge we gain through scientific investigation. There's not a divorce between science and faith. And then our work, our vocation, it's a gift from God that we pursue with excellent, excellence for God's glory. Any honest profession is honorable, and we do it to the glory of God. See, there's a difference between how Christians view the world and how non-Christians view the world. And this is the example we have of discipleship, working from the time of the early church all the way to the present, and now it comes to us. How do we be lifelong learners? How do we be lifelong disciples, uh, lifelong uh, examples to others on how to be disciples? And uh, you know, Besides being a, a husband and a father, my purpose in life is to lead people through the disciple-making process. That's why I'm here. I believe that's why God, uh, at least it's one of the reasons God continues to put breath in my lungs that here at First Baptist Church to aid the process of making disciples. I'm part of it, not all of it, by any means. And we've kind of fallen flat, in a sense, during COVID. It's interesting. I've been looking at our numbers. Um, before COVID, talking about the execution of discipleship now, uh, we kind of flatlined. But there's some important, some important facts I need to point out about our growth at First Baptist Church. Before COVID, we were growing at about 5% in worship. And we're seeing people coming back and... We are growing. Believe it or not, we grew numerically through COVID. Praise God. And as you look around, we've got room in our auditorium, don't we? We could, we could have more folks coming in. In Sunday school attendance, pre-K to junior high, before COVID, we were growing at a rate of 16%. And we're still growing. Now, as they say, that creates a wonderful problem. But it's still a problem. It's a wonderful problem. It's a problem we, we like to have as pastors. But we've got a capacity issue going on in our classroom spaces. So if you look at our church, this is how it's laid out. Um, this is kind of looking at it. If there was a camera from the lobby looking this way. Uh, we've got a toddler section. Then the light purples elementary and preschool. To the top is our student ministries. That's where our youth and teens uh, do their thing. Then the sanctuary and the lobby. Now, as things exist today, uh, if you look at this chart, those colors indicate capacity. And think of it in terms of stoplight. Anything in green still has some room to grow. Anything in yellow is at capacity. In our pre-K and children's spaces, we are absolutely beyond capacity as it stands today. That's why it's a little darker yellow. Now, if you take the growth rate into account, it looks more like this. In 2026, we will be absolutely tapped out in every area but the auditorium. Now, I just bring that up because we are in the business of making disciples here at First Baptist Church, and we need space to do that. If you come here on Wednesday night, you're going to find this place overflowing and bursting at the seams during the school year. There's no more room for adult classes. Now, we are working with an architect right now. We're looking at some possibilities of what we could do here. But I just want to let you know, um, we're out of space. We've got room to grow in here, but more adults in here means more kids in the classroom spaces. So keep that in mind. 
as we go forward. Uh, I hope to present you with some possibilities of what could be here at First Baptist Church. Uh, probably this fall, again, I'm, we're working with an architect and we're getting some, some renderings about some things we could do with our building space, maybe to provide more of a, a large open play space for kids as well. Uh, so stay tuned there. Because we've got this, over 120 years we've been making disciples here at First Baptist Church. And by God's grace we're growing and Sheridan is growing as well. Now I do list some resources in the bulletin that I think are important. Uh, just for your own growth, obviously there's some good stuff online. If you look in the bulletin, I've shared with you some of my favorite online resources um, for your own Christian growth. Uh, some stuff, is, there's more available now than there's ever been available. And in addition to that, read. Somebody said you need to read like your life depends on it. And that's true. If you want a good, if you've never read the book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. If you've never read that, I would highly suggest that. It's fantastic. But I want to focus on something else here. It's the third point under this being a lifelong learner. It's getting into a group getting into a group. You know, Christianity is a team sport. And, uh, I, and, you know, God bless you. If you're watching online this morning, we're so thankful you're watching. But, you know, what? I look forward to you to getting here, too. Worship online should only be done in a case where you cannot be here in person. It's not the same thing. And if you've been in isolation for a long time, I'm encouraging you to get back. And here at First Baptist, we have a whole host of different groups that you can get involved in and join. As a matter of fact, on the welcome desk at the, in the front, uh, we've got a list that you can get involved in. There's one I want to focus on right now. Um, this fall, and I, all the men, in the if you're a man, raise your hand. All right, got your attention. Listen, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Because I'm tired of seeing men dying of loneliness. Because it happens. This fall, starting on Saturday, September 11th. I'm sorry, it's, it's, on, a, it's on a Sunday. We're going to start something called Man to Man. And it's going to be uh, on Sunday evenings. It's going to be men in a setting, listening to about a 30-minute lesson, and then having discussion around tables after that that our elders are going to be heavily involved in this and if you're wanting some serious mentorship if you've got questions about this whole dad uh man sort of like how do i do this we're going to start talking about that and we're going to have those sunday evening sessions we're going to be going through the word of god and then on sundays i'm sorry on saturdays we're going to start our breakfast back again in september and we're going to have a series called The Man's Approach to Life. And we're going to, we'll start out with four. We'll be talking about your marriage life, your sex life, your, your parent life, and your work life. We're leaving no stone unturned here. So we're starting that this fall. I hope that you'll be a part of that. Uh, I think we've got some awesome speakers coming in. We'll have some pastors from other churches coming in as well to be part of that on Saturday mornings in those breakfasts. So please get into a group. Find one. We have them here. Classes are great, but classes kind of come and go. We want something that both teaches and has a fellowship component to it. Because I cannot divorce 
Christian growth and being connected to other Christians. You cannot have one without the other. So putting this all together, just be a, avoid immaturity by being a lifelong learner. Avoid immaturity by being a lifelong learner. Yeah, I just need to point out, so you saw what I did. We've got a wonderful young lady that works in our office. Somebody brought her a dead plant, and this is what she was able to do with it. And I talked to her, and she said, she said, yeah, Chad, I like watered it and put fertilizer on it and uh, put it in the sunshine. And it's thriving. If you tend to your spiritual life, if you tend to your growth, you can thrive too. And what we want is a church full of thriving, growing Christians. Please pray with me. God in heaven, we so desperately need to be in tune with you. Lord, you came to us. You made salvation possible. You made it available, and we receive this free gift of salvation by faith, simply by believing. And Lord, I pray that we would follow hard after you, that you would be the desire of our hearts, that you would be our ultimate pursuit, that we would grow, that we would take deeper root, that we wouldn't be satisfied with our current state, that we wouldn't languish in immaturity, God, but we would grow to maturity through knowledge, but not just knowledge. That that would actually lead to loving others and loving you more. We ask all in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's a few things I want to mention just quickly before you leave. 